Hi, everyone. I'm uh, sort of getting myself situated here. Um, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Uh, it's great to see all of you guys. Um, it's fun to see some, some faces that I haven't seen in a while. Um, and uh, I also realize that there's a lot of folks in this room who, who have no idea who I am. My name's Dan McIntyre. Eventually, I will get this thing sorted out. Um, it's just like, you know, it's like you, when you feel like you have a cobweb on you. It's just like, something's on me. Um, so anyways, my name is Dan McIntyre. Um, I, I always appreciate the opportunity to come up here and, and speak with you. So it's an honor, it's a privilege, and I want to make sure I, I thank the pastors for giving me this opportunity to, uh, to share the word with you guys. Um, and thank you guys for humoring me enough to, uh, to, to listen and not walk out. Um, now, it's been a while since I've been up here. Um, so like I said, a lot of folks in here I know, but a, a good amount of folks uh, I don't know. So by way of introduction, I wanted to give you a little background information on myself. Um, I have worn a lot of hats in my time here at the Oaks. Um, I've been coming to the Oaks uh, since the beginning. And in that time, um, I spent time as a pastor, uh, several years as a pastor. Um, I have uh, led community groups. Um, I am an occasional preacher, as you see here. Um, I also help out uh, with the youth uh, leading the teen group. Um, but what you guys probably don't know, or some of you guys have forgotten, is that I actually cut my teeth on the stage here in the worship band, slapping the bass. Um, <laughs> You may not know it to look at me, but under this sweater and through these veins flows an unquenchable fountain of pure funk. <laughs> um, no, I actually, I actually uh, the way it, it came about was I picked up the, the guitar in college. So I started playing guitar in college for all the, the standard reasons. Um, I wanted to impress girls with bad Dave Matthews band covers. Um, <laughs> And I wanted to play guitar at our Young Life Club. Um, and, and, and considering the fact that I married a girl from our Young Life Club, uh, I think my plan worked out pretty well. Uh, a few years later, as the Oaks was getting like off the ground, um, I, uh, I lied to Kyle Jameson and I told him I knew how to play the bass. Um, which, by, I, I, what I really meant to say is I know that a bass has four strings and a guitar has six strings, and that's about as far as my knowledge went. Um, but they were desperate, and they let me play, um, which that kind of reminds me of a joke. Um, what do you call a guy who hangs out with a bunch of musicians? <laughs> the bass player. And I, and I say that as a joke because we actually have awesome bass players now. You know, we have like real musicians, but this was back in like the, uh, the early days, back when we were, you know, it was slim pickings back there. Um, so I, I was pretty terrible at first. And um, luckily, thanks to my crippling fear of public embarrassment, I spent hours upon hours, day after day, practicing uh, to the point where I rose my skill level from terrible to slightly above terrible, <laughs> just barely not terrible. Um, so then, being pretty pleased with my not terrible self, I branched out and I joined a garage band with some of my not terrible friends, <laughs> and we played some not terrible music in some questionably terrible Middletown bars. 
<laughs> where you judge success of the night on whether or not you were stabbed. Um, now, at some point in time, probably around 2014, uh, the bandmates and I, we realized that we were not going to be the next Fallout Boy. Again, it was 2014. Um, and we parted ways, and we decided it was probably better to use our time doing literally anything else. Um, now, sadly for me, that was about the last time I touched the bass. Um, now, however, a, a member of uh, that old garage band, um, whose identity I am protecting right now, because he may or may not be in the room, and may or may not be playing the bass this morning. <laughs> I had no idea that was going to happen. He reached out, and by the way, who is also not terrible because he has kept up his craft and he has honed it. And he wasn't terrible then, but he has gotten uh, very good now. He has honed his craft and he has said, he has asked the rest of the bandmates, he said, he proposed a reunion jam. See if we can get together and jam. Um, and I'm super excited about this. I'm totally planning on go, to go. Um, I, I, I totally will be there, but I'm afraid that my abilities to channel the funk just aren't what they used to be. Um, and that my skill level on the bass has reverted to just plain old terrible. <laughs> and as I thought about this, I, it, it, this is kind of like the way of things. This is kind of the way skills work, right? Um, if you have a skill, something that you're good at, and you stop practicing it, you stop honing your skill, what happens? Does it get better? Does it even stay the same? No, it, it, it gets worse. It decays. And it's, it's really, it's, it's more than just our skills. It's our knowledge. It's our abilities. It's our bodies. It's nature. If you leave something alone and just ignore it for a certain amount of time, chaos creeps in and it decays. To some small degree or some large degree, it will decay. If you stop mowing your lawn for two months, will it get more orderly or more chaotic? And this principle of decay, that things move from order to disorder, it applies to everything, and it even applies to our character and our personal growth. If we're not striving forward, if we're not becoming better people, then we will be sliding backwards. And this is why... Pastor Matt, and he mentioned this last week in his sermon, he said, like, there are libraries upon libraries of self-help books out there. And what these things are there for is to help us try to fight against this natural decay, to help us unlock all of our unrealized potential. Because we all feel like we have untapped potential. I mean, do you feel that way? I know I do. I want to be a better person. I want to be you know, more joyful. I want to be more loving. I want to be more honest. I want to be more courageous. I want to be more confident. I want to be more successful. You name it, I want to be more of it. And as we've kind of explored this series, you know, we've been exploring the love of Jesus in this series, we believe that the power of Jesus' love is deep. Like we're not you know, the pastors and the other folks who have taken the pulpit, we're not up here trying to just sell, like, fire insurance. You know, hey, come to Jesus and you'll escape hell. Which is true, but that's not the extent of what the love of Jesus can do. 
The love of Jesus is deeper than that. It's more powerful than that. The love of Jesus allows us to grow and to flourish and to live our lives with joy. So we have to ask ourselves, how? How does this love do this? How does the love help us fight this uphill battle for growth and change in our lives? How does it help fight against decay and realize our potential? And to answer this question, we're going to go into John 15. Um, We're going to look at John 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Uh, The kids did an awesome job stealing my thunder in verse 5, but we'll we'll go through that. Um, So this is a famous passage. This is where Jesus helps us understand um, both the nature of his love and the nature of our growth. So I'm going to go ahead and read it, John 15, if you want to um, look for it in your Bibles or um, read along in the, um, uh, on the screens. I will ask that you please uh, stand for the reading of God's Word out of respect for God's Word. John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will be able, to, or you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Jesus, He's using vivid imagery here. He's using a, 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 a branch vine metaphor. And this branch vine metaphor is for our connectedness, our connectedness and growth. And and I want to unpack this together this morning by sort of an outside-in approach. We're going to, to, first we're going to look at the outside. We're going to look at the fruit and we're going to kind of work our way in. We're going to look at what we're going to talk about, what this, what it means to bear fruit. And then we're going to look at this branch vine connection. And then finally, we're going to take a look and talk about what our part is in the process. So we're going to start from the outside, and we're starting with this idea of fruit. You know, the passage makes it clear that there's an expectation on us that we bear fruit. But what does that mean? In my younger days, I always read this to mean um, that fruit meant people. And that to bear fruit meant to um, win people over to Christ, make converts. And thus, when I would read this passage, it filled me with anxiety because I would wonder, have I converted enough people? 
How many people do you have to convert? What if I converted like 10 people like 10 years ago? Can I space that out one per year? Does that count for my decade or do I have to just keep it going? Like these are weird questions that would kind of stir up inside me and make me feel uncomfortable. But now as I read it today, I believe that I was wrong in two ways. And the first way was that kind of a thinking, it places way too much authority and responsibility in our hands. Because we don't save anybody. God does. It's all throughout the Bible. If you read your Bible, you'll find passage after passage where God says, salvation is mine. I took a smattering. Psalm 3.8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. Revelation 7.10, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Revelation 19.1, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And then John 14.6, which we read last week, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and to be clear, God does ask us to play a part. God gives us a part in loving folks and sharing the good news. But the work of salvation, the actual heart change, people going from death to life, that is the work of God alone. So that was my first misunderstanding of what it meant to bear fruit. My second misunderstanding was that I think I was just thinking about it too narrowly. Because when the Bible speaks of fruit, it always, it always has to do with character. It always has to do with personal growth. Um, Paul talks about fruit uh, in, in uh, Galatians. He talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And he uses, when he describes the fruits of the Spirit, he uses character traits. So here are the character traits he lists. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the character traits that Paul identifies with the fruits of the Spirit. Being fruitful means demonstrating these character traits. And aren't all of these traits things that we aspire to in our lives? Wouldn't we all want to have a little bit more of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our lives? Think of the person that you know in your life that you admire the most the person you look up to the most, the person that inspires you more than anyone else, I'd be willing to bet that that person has a couple of these traits, that they demonstrate a couple of these traits in their lives. Now, the embodiment of all these traits, I, I think Paul, you know, I don't think he was giving us the most exhaustive list what I think he was doing in Galatians was I think he was describing somebody that he knows. I think he's describing Jesus because Jesus is the embodiment of these traits. And this makes sense and it really fits with Paul's other teachings because he calls us to be imitators of Christ. So when taken this way, with this understanding, um, an easy way to think about bearing fruit becomes just becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more Christ-like. 
more like Jesus in character, more like Jesus in obedience, which we read in verse 10, and more like Jesus in joy, which we read in verse 11. And this definition of fruit, fruit being change, fruit being growth, fruit being becoming more Christ-like, this definition, it's encouraging because it affirms that we can change. The love of Jesus, the power of Jesus' love is, is more powerful than the principle of decay that we experience in the world. So perhaps you're someone who struggles with anger. Um, maybe you're a parent. If you're a parent who doesn't struggle with anger, I'd love you to come up here and you know, teach a class at some point in time. Um, you know, so... My mom, she's a, a great grandma, she's a fun grandma, and she bought our, our children educational placemats um, for dinner, like dinner placemats that are kind of like educational, like you might have one of like the solar system, um, we have flags of the world, uh, Civil War generals is one of my personal favorites, um, lots of maps. Um, and, and the idea is that the kids will you know, kind of have fun while they're eating dinner. Um, of course, no good deed goes unrewarded or unpunished because this causes fights in our house because someone gets the solar system when what they really wanted was the map of the United States. Um, the map of the United States is the most popular of the, the placemats that we have. So wanting to get ahead of these problems um, and, and to solve this, we ended up buying two identical maps of the United States so that both kids can have a map in front of them, and we can eat dinner in peace. Of course, I said they were identical, but the printer must have had more red ink in it when the second placemat was printed because the pink color states in the second mat are slightly pinker than the original mat. And I want to show you guys this because I brought them with me. <laughs> These pink mats... These pink states are slightly pinker than these ones. And now, my daughter cries when she doesn't get the dark pink placemat. Now, I don't consider myself an angry person. <laughs> but I want to throw these in the fire pit and watch them burn. And worse... I want my kids to watch as a lesson to anyone who would dare to bring this kind of nonsense into my home. <laughs> I don't particularly like this part of me. <laughs> like, this impulse isn't good. Um, I'd like to have more gentleness and patience, especially with small children. Um, I'm glad to know that I'm not stuck with my anger and my impatience. And you should be glad to know that you aren't stuck with yours either. There's hope. So this idea that we can change, that the power of Christ's love is powerful enough to change us, is encouraging. But it's also, it also invites us into introspection. As our fruitfulness, the fruit that we see in our own lives, can act as a kind of barometer of our spiritual health. Um, just like in real trees, you know, real fruit trees grow fruits in season. So you have seasons of fruitfulness and you'll have seasons of dormantness. Uh, um, just like that, 
you know, we may experience seasons of fruitlessness. However, over time, if we look at our lives, we should see the trend pointing upward. It may be like small, it may be incremental, it may be in spurts, but those, in, those who are in Christ should experience growth and become more Christ-like, which makes sense. You become like the people you spend time with, right? When my son has spent a lot of time with certain of his friends, I know it because he starts talking like them. Like, you become more like the people you spend time with. If we spend more time with Christ, the more time we spend with Christ, the more, time, the more we will end up resembling Christ. So our fruitfulness kind of acts as a gauge for us of our spiritual health. So the hard question, if you're, if you're brave enough to ask it of yourself, what does your fruitfulness say about your spiritual health? You know, if you, that's, a, that's a, a, a challenging question that I had to kind of stare at myself, and I think all of us would do well to think about. And if we're really brave, maybe we ask someone who's really close to us, someone that we trust. If there's no fruit, then there may be a connectedness problem. So we're going to look at the connectedness now between the branch and the vine. Um, it's clear from this passage that we're the branches and Jesus is the vine. And thus the branches, us, produce fruit, become more Christ-like by staying connected to the vine, Jesus. And the, the purpose of this imagery is to impress on us the bond between us and Jesus. This the, the bond between us and Jesus is meant to be as interconnected as the bond between a vine and a branch. Because a, a, a vine and a branch, they, they aren't really two things, are they? I mean, they share the same stuff, the stuff that goes between vine and branches. Not a, a plant guy, but like sap, juices, nutrients, moisture, it, it all flows between in a lot of ways, it's like you and your arm. You know, between you and your arm, there are muscles and there are blood vessels and there are nerves flowing, you know, connecting you to your arm. And between you and your arm, it, blood flows freely in and out. You wouldn't say that you and your arm are two different things. You're one thing. You're part of the same whole. In the same way, a tree and its branches are part of the same whole. So when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he's saying, we're part of the same whole. There's an, 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 um, an extremely intimate oneness between us. This oneness, it's, it's, it's so close, it's closer than the relationship between you and your friends. It's closer than the relationship between you and your parents. It's more close than the relationship between you and your children. And it's even closer than between you and a spouse. Jesus, he loves us like he loves himself. I don't think he see he doesn't differentiate between the, the two things. And he sees our mess. 
He sees our sin, he sees our imperfection and the lack of fruit in our lives and he, he still lays down his perfect life for us. But this, this love, it doesn't just simply like clean up our, our mess. He doesn't simply um, you know, take care of our little sin problem. His love draws us into his very being and sends his very being into us. When I, when I held the title of pastor here, I would occasionally do counseling. Um, all of us lead complicated lives, and it's very helpful to have somebody to talk to. Uh, in my counseling, what I would usually try to do is, you know, listen, pray, and then offer guidance as, as I could. Um, but I was careful not to take ownership of somebody else's problem. And that's hard to do. It's difficult to, to try to separate yourself from, but it's like counseling 101. Um, a counselor cannot get entangled with the life of the person that they're counseling. You can help the person, but they own their own change. Now, Jesus, he has this title called Wonderful Counselor. And Maybe he gets this title because it's just so different than what we experience in the world. Because he flips this paradigm on its head. Because he doesn't just help us fix our problems. He doesn't just say, took care of that sin for you, pat, pat us on the back, say, go get him, slugger. Jesus intentionally entangles his life with ours. Our sin becomes his sin. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. He comes, and this verse makes it very clear, he comes to abide in us, to live in us, to dwell with us. And his power to overcome the world becomes our power to grow in the face of decay. And this idea, the way Jesus grows us is, I hope you guys see this, it's so different than like self-help. I mean, are you guys picking this up, how, how just radically different it is from what we see in sort of modern therapy or modern psychology? You know, the, the self-help movement promises, hey, if you buy my book and you love the inner you and you practice these 10 highly effective habits, you can become the person that you always wanted to be. And while some of these things have merit and you can learn a good amount of things from some of these, uh, these folks. Most of them are based upon you doing something. Most of them are based upon pulling yourself up against the entropy of the world and using uh, nothing but your own willpower to change. <clears throat> now, I consider myself a, like a fairly active person. Uh, I try to get like some like biking or running or or stretching in on a daily basis. But the older I get, <laughs> the harder uh, the fighting off the, the universal principle of decay is becoming to me. You know, my body, it just wants to break down. Um, the energy wants to go down. Injuries and weight want to go up. Um, and I know there's a bunch of young people in the room who are kind of like, get, get a load of this old guy complaining about his body. Um, it's going to happen to you guys too, right? It's going to... Like, 
I'm newly old. I'm in my low 40s. But it just happened to me. And I want, you to, I want you to remember that it's going to happen to you. And when it happens to you, I will laugh at you like you're laughing at me if I have the energy. Um, <clears throat> now, I've tried many schemes to stay fit. Um, you know, I, I've, I've done calorie counting. I've logged, I logged 400 straight days in my fitness pal, to kind of humble bragging there. Um, I've done the whole 33 times. I did intermittent fasting before it was cool. Um, Strength training, five by five, uh, you know, green smoothies, uh, swimming to get that low impact stuff, P90X, you name it, I've, I've done it. And here's what I found about these things is that they all work. All of them work. They all work for the duration that my willpower holds out. And actually, I'm, again, I'm not trying to hold back. I am pretty good with willpower. Like when I want to do something, I'll stick to it for a long time, a lot more than... Um, well, I won't, I won't pull anybody down, but I'm good with willpower. <laughs> but here's the thing. Eventually, my willpower does fade. And when it fades, what ends up happening is I find myself back where I began. Now, I know someone's in the crowd thinking, now, no, brah, no, you're doing it wrong. You got to do a protein cleanse, and then you got to count your macros. And to you, I just want to say, shut it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody asked you. I'm not, I'm not looking for advice. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say that trying to change via willpower alone is exhausting. It just feels like you're trying to run up an icy hill or something. It's tiring. And, and John 15 just gives us a completely different way because what it shows us is that growth, the ability, our ability to change, it's not a discipline. It's not a willpower. It's not you trying harder it's not a set of things. It's a person. That growth is a person. It's being connected to Jesus like a branch is to a vine. An intimate oneness using the power of Christ's love instead of our own willpower. So, another question for you guys. Are you tiring yourselves out trying to become a better you using your own willpower? What ways have you been trying to, um, to grow outside of Christ? Have you put your hope in Jesus to change you? So we've talked about what spiritual fruit is, and we've talked about the, the essential connection that has to be there. Um, but what do we do? Because <laughs> I know... This concept of putting everything into the, the hands of Jesus is going to challenge a lot of people. It's going to challenge us because we want an action item. Give me something to do. And there's good news for you here. Was that in the verse that we read in John 15, um, there was an action verb that appeared 10 times, believe it or not, 10 times in 11 verses. So there's something for us. But the bad news is it may not be the action verb that you want. It was the word abide. Now, your translation may say something different. It might say, instead of abide in me, it might say remain in me. Um, I've seen translations that say live in me or dwell in me. Um, but the concept doesn't change. Abiding in Jesus means, one, having that intimate 
branch vine connection that we just spoke about. Having it, maintaining that intimate connection. And two, depending on Jesus like a branch depends on a vine. So I'm going to assume for a second one, we're going to assume one, we're going to assume that the connection, the relationship with Jesus is there. How do we attain number two? How do we depend on Jesus like a branch depends on the vine? Well, first, I think it's helpful, again, if we use our fruitfulness as a barometer. Um, If there's little fruit or no fruit in your life, and you're confident that you have a relationship with Jesus, then you probably have a dependency problem. This feels like we're like doing troubleshooting 101. If the computer's plugged in and you turn it on and nothing happens, then you probably have a, you know, a, a, surge, a circuit out somewhere. Um, it, it, the connection is there, but like a branch trying to get sap from somewhere outside the tree... Um, you're still looking for love, you're looking for acceptance, you're looking for security somewhere other than Jesus. So if we identify that this is a problem, what do we do? I want you to, make, to notice that in, in the verses that we read, it was not just we who abide in Jesus, but it's Jesus who comes and abides in us. And it's his word that comes and abides in us. And I think it's useful if we examine our lives and ask ourselves, are we more influenced by outside forces than God's word? I think about how most of us probably start our day. You know, all of us probably, I'd say, I'd say 90% of us probably use our, our cell phone as our alarm clock. And so the first thing we touch when our day starts is our phone. And what do you do when you touch your phone in the morning? I don't know, you're probably like me. I check to see if I have any messages that I missed, and I check the news. So I find out what's happening in our country, what's going on with COVID, what's happening in Ukraine. And I realize that in doing so, the first emotions that I'm starting my day with are often anxiety and fear. It's going to be hard to be a joyful, peaceful, and courageous person when you start your day off with anxiety and fear. And it made me wonder how much difference it would be to start the day with truth and with beauty and with reassurance that God is in control and that God is good. And if we did that, if we reinforce those things in our lives, how would that change how we walk through our day? What kind of fruit would manifest in our lives? We need God's word within us. We need God's word to talk, to talk to us. We need it to challenge us. We need it to preach to us. And we need it to be the lens by which we see the world. So this is what I'm, what I'm saying here. I'm saying we need to be in God's word. I hope you realize it's so different than 
just like checking off a box for your Bible reading plan. What I'm saying is we need it for inspiration. Being in the Word and having God's Word within us, it's like putting our head on right. And just to be blunt, show me a Christian that bears fruit apart from God's Word, and I'll show you a bunch of stunned pastors. I mean, anything's possible. God can do anything. But it's just not something that we see very often. Are you letting the words of God abide within you? If you're following Christ, if you're confident that you have a relationship with Christ, but you're not seeing fruit, this, I suggest you, you start by looking here. Now, so far, we've assumed that that vine connection, the vine branch connection is there. Um, it may not be there. You know, having the abiding dependence on Jesus is meaningless, meaningless if the connection is missing. So if you're not a Christian and you wonder why, um, why growing more loving and patient and kind um, into, a, into that type of person, why it feels like such an uphill va- battle, here you go. It's because you're missing the vine branch connection that comes from being in a relationship with Christ. All you've got is your own strength. All you've got is your own willpower. In Romans 11, Paul uses a similar metaphor for God's people. And he talks about us being a tree and his branches. And then he goes on to describe how God grafts new branches into his tree. And grafting is an ancient horticultural practice that joins two plants into one. And the way you do this is you you wound the healthy plant and then you insert the new plant into the wound so that each plant's tissues can heal and grow together. Man, (laughs) talk about like writing a sermon illustration. That one's a layup. You know, because on the cross, Jesus allows himself to be wounded so that we could be grafted together and we can grow together with him on God's tree. So if you're seeking real change in your life, if you're not a believer, but you want to see yourself grow, this is where it starts. This is where you can start. I want to turn us to our time of communion. Um, As we do that, I want to talk about what the act of communion signifies um, we do it so often, we, we probably forget how wild it is. Um, in John 6, before the Last Supper, Jesus, he's kind of alluding to communion, um, and, he ta- and he says this. He says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. And at that moment, Many of his followers turned away because it was off-putting and it was gross and it was hard for them to hear that. But later, you know, as, uh, through the Last Supper, we kind of learned that, okay, it's not quite as gross <laughs> as, as it sounded. Um, but Jesus was reinforcing something profound. And that is that Jesus, he do- doesn't just save us from death. He does do that, but he doesn't just do that. He entangles our lives together 
And that having this entanglement, this intimate oneness, is essential to following him. So as we come to communion, and we take the bread, representing Christ's body, broken for us, wounded for us, and we take the blood representing, or the cup representing Christ's blood, poured out for us. Let's be in awe of what Jesus is is asking us to do. Of this perfect person, this perfect son, who is willing to bind his life to ours. If you're not a Christian, um, you know, taking communion probably doesn't make much more sense than it did to the folks uh, back in, you know, in in that John 6 verse. Um, But you're welcome to observe. I think like them, you'll you'll find it less gross um, than the disciples who walked away. Um, Here's what I would ask you to do. Use this time to consider Jesus' offer, not just to save you from your sin uh, and secure you eternal life, but to also graft you onto his tree and to change you with the power of his love. Um, If anybody wants to talk more about this or has any questions, feel free to find me after the service. We'd love to talk to you about what that means. So I'm going to pray, and then we can go ahead and and have our time of communion. Lord, thank you for this time. Uh, Thank you for for your words. I pray that the wisdom of your words would um, infiltrate our heart. Um, I pray that um, the the things that you want us to get out of uh, the passage that we read would be cemented in there. Lord, let my words fall away. Let your words um, sink in. Um, Lord, I, I thank you so much for the, um, for the li- not only the, the eternal life that you've purchased for us, but the life that you, um, that you offer to give us here on earth, Lord, that you offer to give us a life that is flourishing and joyful and marked by, um, by real growth. And I pray for that for myself, Lord, and I pray for that for my friends uh, that are here today. I pray that we would be folks who would, um, that wouldn't... Uh, Uh, be fruitless, but we'd be folks marked by change, and that change would look like us becoming more like your son, Jesus. We thank you. Uh, We ask these things in your name. Amen.